Hey there, creatives. I am really excited to share season two, episode 11 with you. And you're going to listen to a conversation that I had with Julie Harris, who is an expert in profit first accounting. And she is the founder of Green Oak Accounting. And uh, she's just written a new book called Profit First for therapists. And she's also the host of Therapy for Your Money. So if money stuff is something that um, you struggle with, you might want to check out her podcast where she talks all things money, accounting, things related to money, um, and private practice. And so without further ado, I hope you enjoy our conversation. The Creative Psychotherapist is the official podcast of the Creative Clinician's Corner, a practice-building resource for creative psychotherapists. TCP Podcast is the cast for creative, expressive, and experiential-focused psychotherapists curious to learn how to design, build, and scale a thriving private practice. Your host, Raina Lombardi, interviews successful therapists about the tools and strategies they have used to develop creative-focused practices. They also talk about the products, services, and side hustles they have developed, using their knowledge and creativity to enhance their therapy practices, make a greater impact in their communities, and diversify their income streams. Welcome. Now here's your host, Raina Lombardi. Thanks so much for listening to the Creative Psychotherapist Podcast. I'm your host, Raina Lombardi, and I'm really, really excited to welcome my next guest. Her name is Julie Harris, and she is an expert in Profit First, who has helped hundreds of private practice owners gain financial freedom. She's the founder of Green Oak Accounting, the country's largest firm serving the mental health industry. Julie is an accountant, consultant, speaker, author of Profit First for Therapists, and host of the Therapy for Your Money podcast. Yes. Welcome, Julie. Hi, Rena. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. I'm so excited to talk about your new book. Um, yeah. When does it come out? So the book will be out on May 2nd. Um, so yeah, it is available for pre-sale today and it will be out in, in people's hands on May 2nd. Exciting, exciting. So what, what drew you as an accountant to say, one, I want to focus on working with mental health providers, but two, I want to do that really helping them implement the profit first model of accounting. Yeah, well, uh, so as far as working with with therapists, um, when I first started my accounting firm, we were generalists, like many many uh, accountants are, and that was that that was fine. Um, but I as as we started to grow, I really wanted to hone in on one uh, one industry, um, just because I feel like when you know one industry inside and out, you can help in such a deeper way. And I was really craving that that relationship with the clients. Like that is the, my favorite part of the accounting process is usually we're able to, to work with clients for many years. And I really enjoy developing that relationship. So I felt like if we can help our clients in an even deeper way, um, that is going to be more meaningful to us and to them. And at that time we had um, just by accident, a handful of, of therapist clients um, in part because 
Um, what my first therapist client, uh, Ernie, who I, who I talk about in the book, uh, he kept sending us referrals, right? He was happy with our work. So he sent us referrals. So then we looked up one day as we were trying to decide, like, where should we really focus? And then when, when I asked the question of my team, like, who do we really love working with? Everyone answered our, our therapist clients. Like they're, your therapists are just so, um, they're highly educated and so thirsty for the knowledge that we have, right? They don't, um, I'm going to generalize here, but a lot of therapists don't feel super comfortable with money and they want to understand. They have this deep yearning for like, I want to get control of this. I want to know what's actually happening in my business. And so they were also listening to our advice, which feels really good, right? As a, as an accountant, when you're saying like, Hey, I think you should do this thing. And they're actually doing the thing that feels really good. Um, and so that's what we decided to get really intentional in who we were onboarding as new clients. And uh, at this point, we uh, we only have therapist clients, so we will not uh, work with anyone who's outside of that that space. Just because what we can do is so much more helpful uh, when we're when we're working with therapists versus like a restaurant or you know an industry that we just don't know. Uh, because we know the industry, we we are able to say like, here's what's working right now, or here's where we think there's an opportunity for you to reduce spending. Right? Like we know that because we we've seen it. Whereas a, a you know accountant on the street corner. They're really good at, at accounting, I'm sure, but they don't, they just don't know the industry like we do. Very cool. Um, I think that that's uh, really that piece about the niching is so applicable in all of our different industries, right? And, and just as much as yeah. therapists, right? It's like we're better able to serve our client when we really hone into like that one population. Um, and so it makes sense that that would be true for what you do as an accountant as well. Yeah, it, it really is. And then as far as the, the profit first piece, um, initially when I started my accounting firm, I, I did not think I would ever be a business owner until I was, right? I grew up by, my, with a mom who was a serial entrepreneur. She loved entrepreneurship. Um, and, but she likes the beginning phase of a, of a business, right? Like the, the getting it off the ground, like let's set up, well, actually not back then. It was not the website. It was the flyers, but like, let's set up the flyers and find a space and all the fun ideas. And then like when the going gets tough, got tough, that, uh, business often failed. So I saw a lot of cycles of starting a business and failing and starting and failing. And so as a child, I saw, you know, firsthand the effect that that has on, on a family, right? It's, it doesn't just affect the business owner, it affects everyone around them. And so for my reality as a child was, every time a business failed, we usually moved. So there was a new house, a new job for my mom, a new school, new friends, new everything. And so I, I just thought growing up, like if my mom can't figure this out, neither can I. So I will never be a business owner. Uh, and that that's kind of my origin story of Profit First. So when I uh, you know, fast forward many, many years later, and I, I am a mom of three kids. Um, they're all now in school. But when I started my my business, they were um, they were still really, really young. And just I needed some flexibility that at that point did not exist in the market. So I realized like eh, business ownership is probably the way for me to get that. But how am I going to make sure that I don't do the same thing for my family? Right? Like, how do I make sure that I protect us? And for me, that answer was profit first. So years before we even offered this service to our clients, where we implemented with clients, like I was doing this in my own business. And that was just a game changer for me. We've, we've never had, um, we've, we've always been profitable thanks to that. And, and I, I 
since then, I've seen it change the lives of so many private practice owners. It works really, really well in private practice. And so I just truly believe like this message needs to be out in the world because every practice deserves to be profitable. Um, and it, it's not, it's not at hard as, at, as hard as it looks. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's refreshing. And I hope that listeners feel like that's refreshing too, because that's such a big fear for a lot of yeah. folks. Like they want to go out into their own private practice for a variety of reasons, but things like doing the accounting and making like, how, how am I going to be able to pay for all of that? Or, you know, am I going to be able to pay for all of what I need to pay for, for the business and be able to take home enough to pay for stuff to cover me? And then they don't take the action. Um, they don't, cause they're lacking that, that knowledge to say like, no, you can do it. There's ways to set it up that can be really effective. Yeah, um, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So what do you think is maybe some of the uh, ways that creative minded therapists <laughs> um, might make the accounting part fun for themselves? I think like Part of it might be like, oh, that sounds like a lot of like a chore, like a lot of work to like yeah. sit down and do budgets and spreadsheets. Um, how can we make it more approachable? Well, I so I think actually Profit First does make accounting more approachable in a way because it is it's taking your existing habits, right? Whereas as people, as humans, most people will just pull up their bank app and look at how, you know, is there money or is there not, right? Or how much money is in there and uh, on the personal side and on the business side, and then make decisions based on that. So what Profit First does is because we're separating your income into multiple bank accounts, um, and we can unpack that in a little bit if you would like to, but we're basically moving, separating your money into multiple bank accounts. That gives you a lot of data at just a glance, right? So you have a lot of information on you know, what is what avail what money is available for me for operating expenses or what money is available for payroll or what is already earmarked for taxes. And I find that uh, therapists of, of, you know, all kinds, but especially creative therapists tend to really like having those goalposts where you kind of know where, you know, where you're aiming to be and then you know where you can play within. Um, and so I think that Profit First does a good job of that, where it's not restraining you of like, you can't spend on this, you have to reduce expenses at all costs, right? It's not saying that at all. In, in many ways, it gives you permission to spend in some areas, right? If there's money in that owner's pay account, you should pay yourself. If there's money in the operating expenses account, you have funds available for maybe an investment or supplies or whatever it may be. Um, but it gives you some guidelines, which I find is, is helpful for, for um, most creatives in general, mm -hmm. to just have an idea like, okay, here's kind of where I need to be. And I can play, I can live with that. Like I can make that work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. When I first read uh, Mike Michalowicz's book, um, I had my account set up. It was just like my business checking account and my yeah. business savings account. And it was very difficult to look at a glance and say, well, did, is there enough for this knowing that, that, oh, my liability insurance payment is coming up and, oh, my licensure renewal payment is coming up. 
And um, once I went down to my bank and was like, I need to open, you know, 18 million sub accounts. No, I'm just <laughs> exaggerating, but there's quite a few. Um, but once I was able to do that and label all the accounts, that did give me so much, like it felt like I felt so much more empowered with the yes. money. Yeah. Like you have that information, right? All you have to do is glance at your, um, at your bank accounts and then you know, and I talked to a lot of practice owners as I was writing the book, just gathering data. And what I, what I heard over and over again is if I look at my bank and I see a big pile of money, I want to spend, right? And that is, that's actually what Parkinson's law tells us is that a, um, uh, demand will increase to meet the supply that is available. So if you see there's, you know, X dollars in the bank account, like it's normal for you to say like, oh, I have that available to spend, but it doesn't take into account. Uh, there's quarterly estimated tax payments due in a few short weeks and probably your 2022 tax payment as well, right? There's, there's another quarterly estimated tax payment due 60 days after that. And as you mentioned, like liability insurance, uh, maybe it's continuing ed, like there's just so many things that you have money earmarked for, but it doesn't take it that into account. Mm -hmm. That is so, that's so true. Right. And I think for a lot of us that are just, if you're just starting out quarterlies, paying those quarterly taxes, it's something that we've never had to do before because yeah. we're just so used to having like that drawn out of your paycheck and you don't even think about it. Um, yeah. And I would say like of very new practice owners, like the first year in practice, the most common mistake that we see is not saving for taxes, right? So they'll, they'll see like, oh, look at that. I'm making all this money now. This is great. And they're spending every single dollar of it, not realizing like, yeah, one third of that is not yours. Like it is owed to the government. Uh, you just haven't paid it yet. And so that first tax season, oh my gosh, can that be rough? And then that that mistake can follow them for multiple years, right? If they go on a payment plan or take have to take out a personal loan or whatever it has to do, happen to to um, you know to to get that tax liability paid. Um, but so just having a system and a structure, even from the very beginning of a practice, or even for a side gig, I think it'd be super helpful. Or you have an idea of like, here's my target. Here's what I'm going to try to save for, for mm -hmm. um, taxes. And like, if I follow these guidelines, it should be pretty darn close. Like that's reassuring. Yeah. And I think like you're saying, you're right. Like the first year can kind of sneak up on you and you're like, mm -hmm. Oh, I didn't pay enough. Now I, I, you know, if you were paying in, um, but chances are in the first year, people probably aren't paying in because they, don't know how much they're going to make. Um, you know, right. they're still figuring that out. So it kind of sneaks up on them. But I also had a situation. Oh my goodness. My, I usually am really good about having my do not disturb on my phone all the time. Oh. And it just went off. And I don't know if you heard it. Hopefully not. I did but, not. Ah, darn. Now everybody knows that I broke my cardinal rule of asking everybody like, please put your stuff on, do not disturb. And mine like went off. Um, but in 2020 with like COVID and everything yeah. kind of like slowing down, um, my business income was significantly less 
then in 2021, it was like, whoosh, everything picked back up in a flurry. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I, I've got a lot of money going on here that that's coming in. But if I didn't have, if I did not have the profit first model, when it came time to pay taxes in 2022 last year, I would have been expletived like big time (laughs) because it was bad. Like I paid in throughout 2021, but not nearly enough. So in that April payment date, it was like, I had to pay $8,500 for what was owed for 2021 plus my first quarterly for 2022. So it was like $13,000 all at one time. Yeah. Yeah. So, and so for, for any listeners who maybe aren't quite following along or like thinking like, wait, how, how did that happen? So, so Raina, you in 2020 had a slower year. And then when you did your 2020 tax return, then your estimates were calculated based on that income. Right. And so just for listeners, usually you're going to have to pay 100% or 110% of last year's tax, depending on your AGI, which is adjusted gross income, um, or 90% of this year's tax. But what the, the, the known fact, right, the, the, the one thing that we know at that point is last year's tax. So your estimates are based on that. And so that means if you paid them all in full, you don't have any penalties and interest. But if your income goes up, that doesn't mean that you won't owe anything. And so that's kind of what happened, right? Mm-hmm. And then that payment is due on April 15th or the next business day. And then also Q1 estimate is due on April 15th. So the IRS is getting a whole lot of cash on that on that day. Uh, but yep. that hurts and it always sneaks up on people, right? It's the same every year, but like, oh, this is my tax payment and my estimated tax payment. Oh, it's it's a tough one. Yeah. So having that money earmarked is so is so precious. And you know, one of the things, like obviously, if someone is working with us in my accounting firm, like we're working with them throughout the year, right? Looking at what what do we think this is going to be? An estimate is always wrong because it's an estimate, but we're still looking at like what are we close or are we not close? Um, but I can't possibly work with every private practice in the, you know, in the country. And so I, I, you know, this is the kind of information that is in the book of like, here's where based on if you have a solo practice, do you have a small group practice? Do you have a larger group practice? Like here's where usually the numbers need to be. We have spending recommendations for clinician pay and admin pay and leadership pay. If you have leadership owners pay, uh, and taxes and profit, right? Like all of those are just everything I've got is, is in there because I, I think people need to have this information. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's really helpful. I wish that that was available to me when I first started, I was like, you know, figuring it all out. And, um, you know, fortunately there were other people that were saying, Hey, have you heard of this? Like you should look into it. It might be really helpful. And, but the first time I listened to the book and then I was like, oh my gosh, I have to actually buy this book. I listen to a lot of audio books, but if they're really, really good, then I'll buy the physical book because okay. I want to okay. go through and like mark through it and really make sure that I'm digesting the material. So I listened to it, then I read it, then I listened to it again. Wow. Okay. That's, that's some serious list. Like you really studied the material. I did because I really wanted to be able to, 
I wanted to be able to implement it. And there were a lot, that's not my area of expertise. So even like some of the terms I had to like look up and figure out what the heck does that mean? I don't even know what that word means. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, so uh, it, it, if I, if that hadn't have hadn't existed, then I think in last year, I would have, I would have had to put myself on like one of those payment plans with the IRS, which costs a lot extra. They, they are not uh, kind when it comes to delays in receiving their money. Right. They, <laughs> and they're going to get their money no matter what. Right. So I, 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 I'm a firm believer. There's no shame. If if you have to be on a payment plan or you have a payment plan, there's no shame in that, right? Like, you know, we always like to take people where they are, but like, it just makes everything a little bit harder when you're trying to catch up, pay for last year and catch up for this year. Like, it's just a lot harder. You're not going to be able to take home nearly as much. Like it's a tough, it can be a tough situation. Yeah, it definitely can. So we try, best thing is to try to avoid that. The next thing is to face it head on though and just, you know, deal with it mm -hmm. as, as it is. Yeah, fortunately, I saved, I had enough in my, in my, that I was saving, that it was fine, I could cover all of it. But if I hadn't been doing the, every time the money comes in, portioning that yeah. those percentages out, I probably would have looked at it like what you were talking about, like, Oh, look, I have all, all of this extra, I could, yeah. you know, refurnish my office or, you know, apply that to something else. Um, but yeah, it's so easy to do. Most people don't have $13,000 just laying around waiting for something to do with it. Right. Like that, that's the reality of, of most people. So it's a good thing. It was in that account. Mm-hmm. So for folks that are listening that like, obviously you're hearing a little bit about how we have different accounts for um, portioning out the, the income that's coming in. Can you speak a little bit about where the profit comes in place? Because sure. I think yeah. for a lot of us, we don't even know, like, what does that even mean as a business owner? We're therapists first, most of us. And then business ownership is second. And so this sure. might be the first time we're really even thinking about, like, I thought my salary was the profit. Yeah. And, and, um, so the way I think of profit is that the profit is your reward for being a shareholder of your business. Inherently, when you are a business owner, there is risk associated with that, right? There is more risk than you're working for someone else, getting a W-2, you want to leave, you can leave. You, you know, like there's, there's very little that, that is, um, that you are responsible for. So I think you should be rewarded for the risk that you take in starting a business. Um, and so that is where the profit comes in, that there should be profit for every, uh, every practice. And then, um, in, within the profit first model, the way we think of your kind of salary or is, is, we call it owner's pay or owner's payroll. So that amount ideally should cover all of your day-to-day -day expenses, right? Um, that is the amount that you get to take home. That's what you use to pay your mortgage or your rent, put food on the table and put gas in the car, right? All of those things. But then the profit is something that accumulates uh, in a profit account. So that's typically going to be a savings account. And then each quarter, you're going to take half of what is in that profit account and take that home. 
So depending on the size of the business, it could be enough for a meal at a restaurant. It could be enough for a trip to Disney World, right? It depends on like the situation that it is, but it's meant to do something fun, in my opinion, for uh, with. So there are some occasions where like, oh, uh, a, a client told us recently, I, you know, I took my profit distribution and I just happened to just have a medical emergency a few weeks earlier. So I used it to pay the pay the medical bills. And I think like, although that's not fun, that is very much a peace of mind item, right? Like mm -hmm. you just took care of the medical bills, they're gone. But a lot of times our, our clients are able to do something really fun around it or like buy the bag that you've been wanting. Um, another um, person I interviewed for the book, he takes his family out for a, their foodies. So they go out for a meal and they vote as a family on like, where are we going to go? And so this, like, this is um, such a family tree changer too, right? Where we're celebrating like, hey, this is a reward for all this hard work and the, the work that dad puts into this practice. Like, let's all go celebrate together. Um, so I think there's so many beautiful things that you can do with that, but it's meant to be above and beyond like your regular living expenses. Mm -hmm. I love that. I um I had no idea that I needed to be doing that until I discovered profit first. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel sometimes um therapists will kind of give me the side eye when I say like you should you, there should be profit in your practice, like, uh, you know, but we're really in this to help people. And isn't that kind of like putting profit over people? And mm. I would argue that it is not at all because I really think if you have a profitable practice, your impact can be so much larger overall, right? If you have an, like, if you can pay yourself a living wage, I think that benefits all of your clients. If you can pay, can afford to keep your business open, if you can pay your team, and if you can um, survive the little bumps in the road that just happen in practice ownership, that is in service to your clients, to your community, yeah. to your team, right? Like that is in service of, of everyone else. Um, I, I just, I don't believe that, you know, being a therapist is a vow of poverty. I think you should be paid well for the work that you do because it's important work. I a hundred percent agree with everything that you just said. Um, I don't think that, I don't think that I am mother Teresa. If I wanted to do that, I would have done that. I, this is an occupation. It is an occupation with heart. It is an Absolutely. occupation of service, but it's an occupation and it's not a volunteership. And I think too, like if we're not earning what we need to have our own uh, basic needs met, if we look at like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Well, if our basic yeah. needs aren't being met because our business can't provide that to us, how then do we show up fully with enough energy to really be present with the clients that we're being called to serve? I yeah, think I think can. that's a good, that's a good question. And, and the interesting piece too, is that you don't see a spinal surgeon offering sliding scale spots, right? Like that's not a thing. You don't go to your spinal surgeon and say like, Hey, I can't afford this. Can you give me a discount? That, that's, that doesn't happen. They might do a pro bono case or two per year, right? Like maybe that does happen, but it's not, there's no negotiation. You pay what they, what they, you know, what they're going to charge you. Like I, 
I think it should be the same in mental health. Like I, I think it's a great thing when pra larger practices are able to have a sliding, a few sliding scale spots. I think that's a great service, but like it, you're, that cannot be your business model. Mm -mm. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And I think that it's important for us to realize that like our physical health is our mental health and our mental health is our physical health, that there mm -hmm. isn't this like difference between what we do and what other medical professionals do the way in which we approach it is different but the work that we're doing is still about taking care of the whole being of the person and um and we are highly qualified and educated yes. and yeah deserving yeah. to recoup that absolutely um Shall we talk a little bit about kind of the basics of profit first? Would Let's you like to go it. in that yeah. direction? Okay. So I I always find it's helpful to share the four core principles of profit first because it kind of gives a framework for, for how the system works, right? The, it's an entire book, so we won't go through everything, everything today, but uh, this gives you uh, a, a little taste of it. Um, so the four core principles are also nutrition principles. And um, Raina, I'll be the first to say I'm not a nutrition expert. I'm a financial expert. But there are a lot of similarities in the way that human beings make decisions about money and food. That's just, that's simply how it is. Um, and it's not about, you know, the big sweeping decision to say, I'm going to, I'm going to spend less than I make, right? That's all well and good, that big decision. But, but the reality of your financial or physical health is in the hundreds of micro decisions you make each day, each week, each month, right? All the little small decisions. And so the first principle of profit first is to use a small plate. Um, so I was I was born in the um, finish your food, finish your plate uh, generation. Oh, so yeah. whether I'm eating from a big plate or a little plate, I'm usually going to finish it unless I spend a lot of mental energy thinking about what am I leaving? Should I have another bite? Right. There's a lot of chatter happening in my head. And so when we translate that to profit first, we get we were saying instead of having one one big plate, right, one big bank account, we're going to have several smaller plates. And so there are plates that are earmarked for various things. The, the main bank accounts that we use are an income account. That's where all the revenue of the business is coming into. In most cases, uh, your existing checking account is going to become your income account, where so we don't mess with any kind of insurance payment. Then you have an, a profit account, obviously, uh, where your profit is going to be earmarked. We have an operating expenses account. That's where all your operating expenses like rent, dues and subscriptions, your liability insurance, your software, all that is going to come out of that account. Then we have an owner's pay account, as you can imagine, that is to pay the owner. Uh, then we also have a tax account. That is where, um, we've talked about this one quite a bit, that's where your funds are earmarked for taxes. Um, and then last but not least, we add, um, or I add a payroll account when there are team members to uh, in the practice. So I'm of the belief that in private practice, when you have team members, that is typically going to be your single largest expense in the mm -hmm. business yes. is payroll. So I personally separate operating expenses and payroll. I like to have two separate accounts for that because then it makes it even easier to see where is the issue in my business if there is an issue that comes up, right? And, you, and in business, things are going to come up. So I separate those two. So those are kind of the six foundational accounts that we use. And so when we're eating from a smaller plate, we're naturally going to eat less, right? So, so 
usually you're going to pull up your bank app. And most of the time you're going to look at how much is in that operating expenses account. What can we spend there? Or you might be looking at how much is in the payroll account. Is there enough to make payroll? So that gives you some data points on is this enough or, or not? And then everything else is, is still there, but it's earmarked for other things. So then the principle number two is then we're going to serve sequentially. So on um, the money's coming into your income account, and then on a regular basis, you're going to move money to the other accounts uh, without looking at how much are your bills, right? So that is that is part of the system where ultimately you want to move money and then pay the bills so that you're not adjusting and borrowing from the accounts in between. Principle number three is we remove temptation. So like we talked about with that tax account, you know, it's already earmarked over there. So we're removing the temptation to accidentally spend it because it's tax, tax money or owners pay money. Like we know we need this money for you, the owner. So we're not going to accidentally spend it. Um, I have a little story here. Uh, I'm sure you, you've probably heard of Google. They're like one of the biggest corporations ever. Um, they have some great perks for their team members, including free micro kitchens. So when you walk into Google, they have little kitchens in, in most of their buildings and they're free and just go and you have a snack. The, um, consequence of that is that um, years ago when people started working at Google, Googlers were gaining on average 10 pounds in their first like, five months or so. And so what the food team decided to do is uh, they wanted to keep all of the options available for team members. Um, they didn't want to make decisions on their behalf, but they wanted to see, can we make it easier for people who want to make good food choices to do so? And so at the time, M&Ms were the most popular candy in their micro kitchens, and they were they were stocked in these big, clear bulk containers. So you walk into the kitchen, like big bulk container of M&Ms, you can see them through the, um, you know, through, it's a clear container, you can see them. And so they, the change they made is they, they put the M&Ms into opaque containers, so you could no longer see them, and they displayed fruit more prominently. So the, the M&Ms were a little farther back. So they did not remove them. They did not change the quantity of M&Ms available. Like it was still there. Just that one change, right? Just put an opaque container instead of a clear bulk container in their New York office alone. That resulted in 3.1 million fewer M&M calories consumed in seven weeks. Seven oh my weeks. gosh. I know, I know, <laughs> 3.1 million calories. So, and all they did was remove the temptation. Right. When you're like, and I can just, I've never worked at Google, but I can just imagine like you're walking into that kitchen, it's three o'clock. And like, oh, I could really use a little snack. And you see the can see the MMs, like they're gonna talk to me. They're gonna, Julie, come mm -hmm. over here. And just by not seeing them, you can reduce the calories consumed. So I mean the same happens in with with our money, right? If you reduce the tip the remove the temptation. Got money earmarked for profit, money earmarked for taxes. You're not going to accidentally spend it on something else. I that's that's part of the beauty. So that was principle number three. Then principle number four is we enforce a rhythm. Just like when you eat, if you if you don't eat for three days, you're going to be really really hungry. You're going to just put everything in your you know eat whatever's in sight. So on a regular basis, you have to feed your business, right? And in this case, the food is, is money. It needs money to survive. So you're going to move money on a regular cadence between your accounts. Um, for a lot of practices, I recommend starting with a weekly transfer schedule. 
So I think there's a lot of benefit to seeing the in and out of money on a weekly basis in your practice. I also think that when you're doing it, for example, on the 10th and the 25th, sometimes that's going to be a weekend. Sometimes it's a Monday. Sometimes it's a Thursday. Like I think that can be disruptive. So uh, if you're if you're moving money, for example, every Friday, like that's the thing that you do on a Friday. For me, I I do it on Fridays because I run payroll on Monday, uh, and so I get I get my kids off to the bus. I have my coffee. I sit down. I do my profit first transfers. I look at I look at the money. Like I, that's part of my routine, and I really enjoy it now. Um, but I, there's a there's a real benefit to being able to see the ebb and flow. So if, for example, every week you log in on Friday, you say, I usually have $8,000 in there when I log in or whatever that dollar amount is. If you see all of a sudden that Friday, it's something different. It's it's either higher, or let's say it's $4,000. It's half what you expected. You can start troubleshooting right then and there. If it's hidden in all the other transactions, it would take you a lot longer to see something is up, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of our clients will, for example, self-diagnose a building issue where they'll say, this is not normal. There should be more here. Let's start looking two weeks earlier than they would have otherwise before noticing there was something up. Mm-hmm. I, I like that. I, and I resonate so much with what you're talking about. I, I tried doing the first and 15th uh, and I did, I was able to manage it for, I don't know, six or seven months. And then it was just too challenging for those mm-hmm. reasons. It was never on the same day. And I felt like two weeks was too much time. Like I needed to be in there every week that having, ha- having that relationship every week, and maybe it's just eased my anxiety a little bit, um, just felt better than the yeah, every I mean, two weeks. I think every two weeks can also work, but I find for, especially at the beginning, it's hard when you're implementing to go two weeks without moving money. That is a hard thing to do for most. Most practices just don't have that kind of margin to like fully fund upfront. So every week is a lot less overwhelming, but it really helps you see how money is moving. I'm also a firm believer in aligning your transfer schedule with your payroll schedule, right? When you have a team. So if, if for example, um, I, I run practice, I, I run payroll every other week for my team. So it makes sense that every other week I need to move money into the payroll account. Like that makes sense. Um, sometimes if a practice is running on the 15th and the last day of the month, then maybe twice a week or twice a month is going to work, right? So it kind of depends on like what that schedule is, but ultimately you need to be moving money before you run payroll is what, what mm-hmm. is the reality of most practices. Yeah. Yeah. We do it weekly. So that definitely, maybe that is what was the anxiety provoking factor for me. Um, and, and every two weeks I just couldn't, I couldn't predict it. I couldn't predict oh, right. what that was going to be. Cause you were having to predict what the, the following payroll was going to be as well. Yeah. And so would it work then uh, better for you to do it? Like when you're running payroll, maybe you're, you're, you're running, mm-hmm. moving your money, running the um, calculations, moving the money and then running payroll. That exactly. That, that could be a better alignment. Okay. Is that what you're doing mm-hmm. currently? Yes. That's what I'm doing okay. currently. Yeah. There you go. I, I, I love it. I think it works well for a lot of practices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you think are like, the differences between um, like profit 
margins for solo practitioners versus group practitioners? Should we be looking at that differently for, for those two models of practicing? Yes. And in, in the book, there are recommendations for um, solo practices, small groups, medium group, and large group. Um, so I do have recommendations for, for all three of those. When um, you have a solo practice, you are the sole clinician and you're doing all the, all the work, right? All the income generation is done by you. So it's normal then that a, a large portion of that will be money that you're able to take home. Um, so typically what we see there as far as the owner's pay piece on its own is usually 30 to 60% of that can be owner's pay. In addition to that, we have other percentages allocated to payroll or sorry, to tax and profit. Um, but but usually that can be your your peer, your owner's pay. However, as you add more and more team members, the work that is done by the owner becomes a much smaller piece of that pie, right? So let's say uh, we look at a practice of 10, 10 people and then, or just to, to use round numbers, uh, nine clinicians plus the owner, right? So 10 total people. If the owner is still seeing a full client load, they would be seeing 10% of clients. There's a good chance that they aren't seeing a full client load at that point. So they might be seeing 5% of clients. So it's normal then that at that point, we see the percentage allocated to owner's pay is going to be much smaller because it's a much bigger pie also, right? We've got 10 people doing work. They have to be paid. So it's just a smaller piece. Um, the dollars are usually not getting smaller. It's just the pie is getting bigger. And so the allocations do shift often um, within those stages because the practice is shifting significantly. Like it, it, and there's always, as you even add one single clinician, um, just you're doubling your workforce. That's a big change in a business, right? It's only one person, but you're doubling the workforce. It's like going from five people to 10 people, that's doubling. Like things are going to get a little messy and have to change and that's okay, that's normal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can see that too, just in the evolution of my practice as well. Um, yeah. So as we get towards those larger practices, for example, we're usually expecting uh, owner's pay to be somewhere around like five to 10%, right? So it went from 30 to 60 to five to 10 dollar wise it's not usually a big difference but it's just it's a it's a bigger dollar amount coming into the practice right because all the other the other the payroll is going to be like the dominant percentage bracket in that situation if you have like 20 people then and they all have caseloads then the bulk of the distribution is going to go to to them not to you yeah Absolutely. Yeah. In that case, usually you're seeing, you know, 45 to 60% of all revenue coming into the business going straight to that payroll account. And that's just for clinicians, right? So you have an additional amount probably for admin, maybe an additional amount for, for, for leadership. Um, so yeah, that payroll account is getting the bulk of the money. Mm. Yeah. How do you think that profit first can help therapists achieve financial freedom? by by implementing these strategies? Well, the reality is that financial freedom is, it, it is to, different to each person, 
right? Your number is probably different from my number, different from your neighbor's number. Everyone has their own number. Like, what does it take for you to feel like you are free? Like, if you want to take a day off, you can take a day off. If you want to go on a trip, you go on a trip. Um, and but the but getting to that number is just math. Um, and so when you have guidelines, like we've just talked about, right, where this is how much you can expect for owner's pay, this is how much you can expect for profit, we can use that math and just reverse engineer your practice to see what does your practice need to be to support the life that you want. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like once you've got that number, it's a lot less scary. It's it, it's no longer, uh, I don't think this is ever going to work. It you can You can see you know, hey, I've been trying to jam a square peg into a round hole. That's why this is not working. Like in order for me to take home this dollar amount, this is what my practice needs to be. I need to, you know, pull one of the levers uh, to, to, to get me to that, to that place that, that those levers might be um, number of sessions. It might be the rate for those sessions, or it might be the percentage that you're able to allocate to owner's pay, right? So you can pull one of those levers and kind of uh, move things around. Um, but I feel like there, there's a lot of um, uh, freedom in just knowing, in knowing what those numbers are. And actually, for your listeners, we have um, our reverse engineer your practice calculator. Um, so we're, we're going to have that available as a free download. If anyone is interested in that, um, you can go to profitfirstfortherapist.com slash creative to be able to just download that free uh, calculator and see like how, how can your practice support the life that you want to live? Yeah, that I, I, that is something that I started doing from the beginning was that big calculation and same thing. And then dividing it up. Okay. Like how many people at this fee, how many people at that fee? Cause you know, if you're doing insurance, um, the read the just, uh, reimbursement rates are different for each insurance company. Mm -hmm. And that can start to uh, play a little Rubik's cube with numbers, if you will, of like, I need to have this many, you know, to make that balance, but it helped to have like a sense of empowerment over what you're doing. Like, I know that if I have this many appointments at this price each week, I'm going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I so you went even more detailed than I I go sometimes. Like I, I think it's easy to get stuck in the weeds, right? And then um, practice owners might say like, "Oh, well, I don't know exactly what my average rate is, so I'm not going to do anything, right?" But so if you look at what's the dollar amount that came into the practice last month, how many sessions did you have, right? Average that that gives you your average fee per session. I'd rather start there than start nowhere. That's that's also a good number, right? It will shift over time as your mix of insurance uh, reimbursements change, but but it's still going to give you a pretty accurate. It, it's going to get pretty close, and like that's helpful. That's helpful data as well. Absolutely, uh, I agree. I like that um, that approach too. I feel like when I first started, I was looking at it from that. Now I don't because I'm not on insurance anymore. And, and that is even uh, more empowering because yeah. I know exactly what I'm going to receive, um, where insurance that too was like unpredictable in terms of the amount of money coming in. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because of how the timing. They, mm hmm 
and that can that can play a role in what we were talking about of like transferring the funds um yes yeah mm-hmm. it definitely can it can make it a little bit harder sometimes but that happens whether you implement profit first or not right and yeah. and so uh, ideally in the good weeks you're transferring more money than you need into all the accounts and that's creating a buffer and then on the weeks that are a little bit slower you're like wait where what happened to my you know united payment then there's a little bit of a buffer in there um to help you get through um but it's a, it can take a little bit of time that's that's going to happen no matter what so it's it's nice to have uh, a system around it no i agree i agree if there was anything that you would be willing to share for folks out there that are listening that feel really intimidated by the numbers and really like struggle with this piece if you had any word of advice that could kind of help them um whether that helps them take action or reach out to someone like you for help, uh, you know, what would you share? You know, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. And the next best time is today. So when it comes to taking, taking control of your money or your financial situation, um, I think today is a great day for that, right? There's no shame in what has happened in the past. We have clients come to us all the time with, I haven't filed taxes in three years or seven years or 10 years or, you know, whatever the situation may be. And that, that, that it's all fixable. Or almost, almost, almost everything is fixable if you just look at it, right? And um, I, I mean, I've been the accountant opening up with a client who brought us like a stack of IRS letters where they were just too afraid to open it. And just that, that's happened more times than I, than I can uh-huh. count where we were just opening the, all the letters, looking at it, figuring out what's going on. And there's always, even in that, in a situation that like that, right. With a stack of IRS letters, there's always this sigh of relief at finally knowing what's actually going on. Um, so I would say, take a look, take a peek. There is, there are a lot of free resources on the Profit First or Therapist website. Um, obviously, I, I really, I wrote this book wanting to help uh, people understand what's going on under the hood of their practice. So I did, I included all the Profit First um, that I had. I also included things like uh, scaling a practice, paying clinicians, paying down debt, some tax basics as well. I really wanted to give clinicians like a, around all, all around well-rounded um, understanding of the financial side of their, their practice. I would say, if you are working with an accountant who shames you for whatever situation that you are in, you're working with the wrong accountant. So um, there's a lot of great accountants out there that will take you where you are, hold your hand and, and get you through um, to a better situation. And that's what we're trained to do. Just like you would tell a, a, a potential client, right? Like we, we can't help you if you don't come in. So just, just uh, you know, give someone a call, read the book, or you know, whatever is going to help you get to that place um, of a better financial situation. It's worth taking a look at. I love that. That's really sound advice, and it makes me think about the word intimacy. Um, and in that, what I really hear coming through is like it's okay for you to be vulnerable, to 
develop this intimate relationship with your money and that in doing that is going to create more freedom and, and a greater sense of control in your life, which I think is a great message. Yeah, and I, unfortunately, as business ownership can be a little bit lonely, right? I think for a, a, that's why there's such. I'm so glad there's such a sense of community in in the mental health industry. Um, but sometimes you can't always share the hard things, or you're ashamed to share the hard things. And it's really like I can't tell you how many times we have clients cry in our meetings, and that's okay. Like that's it's it's a place to be vulnerable and just be open. Um, but just like your doctor, right? If you don't tell us what's going, what's wrong, then we can't help you. Um, and so we want to know the good, the bad, the ugly, right? We we want to know exactly what's going on so we can best um, help you. And like it's a it it's a safe space. I I hear that. I hear your passion coming through, and obviously that is what led you to write the book. And I hope that I hope that. All the therapists out there um, that are struggling with this stuff, pick up a copy. I know I'm going to order mine. And um, if people listening wanted to find you, where can they find you, Julie? Yeah, so you can um, find me on Instagram. I'm at julie.harris. I also have a podcast, Therapy for Your Money, where I talk about all things money for private practice, a little bite size, um, some some tax tips and um, real estate and like all, you know, all things related to private practice. Um, you can find a whole lot of very personal stories in the Profit First for Therapists book. Um, and you can also find my accounting firm at greenoakaccounting.com. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, I will make sure to put all of those things in the show notes, including the free reverse engineer um, spreadsheet. I'm assuming Perfect. it's a spreadsheet or maybe it's a PDF. It is, no, it's a Google Sheets. <laughs> yeah, it's a Google Sheet. So you can make a copy into your own Google Drive, update it, um, and it does a lot of the calculations for you. Wonderful. I will make sure to put that link in the show notes as well. And um Perfect. Thank you so much for being willing to come and talk about this with me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Creative Psychotherapist podcast. I hope you enjoyed the conversation that I had with Julie. Um, I think it's really important for us to understand the finances in our business. If we don't understand the finances in our business, it can really become a burden and, um, and create so much stress, which doesn't necessarily need to be there. And um, if you're not yet using Profit First, I highly recommend you check out her material. She has lots of resources on the Profit First for Therapist website, which is just ProfitFirstForTherapist.com. And check out her book, Profit First for Therapists. Um, I know I have ordered mine and I'm excited to get it when it comes out in May. And it's something that I've been using in my practice for um, a number of years now. I think probably back in 2019 was when I first uh, listened to the Profit First audiobook the first time and then started working towards implementing that in my practice. And boy, am I glad that I did. 
Um, I know I shared a little personal story in the conversation with Julie about how much it really saved me. Um, so I hope that you found it helpful. And if you are enjoying listening to the show, uh, please rate uh, and subscribe wherever you listen. Uh, we'd love your feedback and um, have a great creative day. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Creative Psychotherapist. If you like what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. For show notes, downloads, and additional resources, head over to the website at www.creativeclinicianscorner.com.